Good morning, and welcome to Mayflower Congregational Church on this first Sunday of Lent. We are so happy you've decided to join us for our live stream service. I am Reverend Ruth Bell Olson, and together with Reverend Dr. Jonathan White, we are your interim pastoral team. Joining us in leading worship this morning, we have Dr. Julia Brown, our director of music, Scott Bosher, our cantor, our Stations of the Cross family, Susan and Samantha Lovell, and as always, we are enormously grateful for Pat McGuire, our talented director of streaming, who makes all of this possible. The Pastoral Search Committee is hard at work and in the process of interviewing potential candidates for the position of senior minister. Here to give an update is the committee chairperson, Ginger Young. Thank you, Ruth. Good morning, Mayflower friends. Things are progressing for the search committee, though not as quickly as we had hoped. After our consultant, Vanderblomen, had reviewed over 30 interested candidates, we were presented with four finalists that fit Mayflower's profile and requirements for a new leader. Upon viewing their introduction videos, sermon samples, and resumes, we lowered the finalists to three individuals with whom we wanted to talk. The committee participated in an hour-long interview, via Zoom, of course, with each candidate. Following these initial interviews, we determined that one of the candidates was not a good fit for Mayflower and released him from consideration. With two finalists remaining, the committee made the decision that in spite of COVID, we needed to meet and talk with each of them in person. This week, we met one of the candidates and made the decision not to move forward with him. While he had many fine qualifications, we determined that he was not the right person for our membership. Due to the fact that the other candidate is located out of state, we had more of a challenge coordinating schedules to bring him to Grand Rapids, which will not happen until the end of March. However, in the interim, we will be connecting with him and his wife via Zoom to keep the process moving. Making these decisions is not something we take lightly, nor without a great deal of soul-searching, exploration, and discussion. Please understand that we, as a committee, represent all of you. The youngest members of the committee represent the oldest members of Mayflower. The older committee members think about the children, youth, and young families who are depending on us. Those with a long history at Mayflower contemplate how we will attract new members in the future. And others with less experience at our church want to honor the history of the longtime members who have been a part of this community for many years and have played such an integral role in forming who we are today. As you are sitting on your sofa or at the kitchen table on Sunday morning watching the live stream, you are in our thoughts. When families endure the cold to attend an outdoor church function, you are in our thoughts. Retirees who are enjoying the Florida sunshine and families who are busy on Zoom meetings are on our mind because we, knew, we know you all want the best for Mayflower. We think about each of you as we go through the candidates, their experience, their special gifts, and their ability to meet the expectation 
of Mayflower members and friends. We are mindful of your hopes and desires as we reflect on every decision we make. While this is not going as quickly as everyone had hoped, we are working the process and doing so prayerfully. Led by the input and support of Vanderblomen and their years of experience and expertise in pastoral searches. We are truly taking a deep dive into the backgrounds, suitability, and spirituality of each candidate. The decisions we are making are more than conscientious, more than mindful, they are spiritual. And those are the most challenging and difficult to make. Though we don't know at this time when we will have a senior minister to call to Mayflower, the committee is, however, committed to putting in the time and energy required of such an important task. We are searching our hearts and souls and praying for the Lord's guidance with the knowledge that our new spiritual leader will be chosen in God's time. Please continue to pray for us to have patience, wisdom, and discernment and to listen for God to whisper in our ears and touch the Holy Spirit within us. Thank you so much, Ginger. Last Wednesday, we launched our church-wide Bible reading program called Immerse. We are studying the New Testament, and you are always welcome to join this effort. Beginning this Wednesday, we will have a discussion time via Zoom at noon, and there are also opportunities for families, youth, small groups to have their own discussions. Please contact the church if you would like to order a book or learn more about this program. We also want to remind you that we are in step one of a phased church reopening. Youth groups are meeting in the atrium for music. And midweek, the Boy Scouts and Elevate are in the chapel and the narthex for group activities. Small group Bible studies are meeting throughout the week in the chapel, too. And the for those of you who just want to simply be here in the sanctuary, we are opening the sanctuary for an hour at noon on Tuesdays and 10 a.m. on Fridays to simply come and have a silent time of prayer and meditation. We continue to monitor the infection rates and the level of hospital capacity. And unfortunately, the case rate in Kent County rose at the end of last week to 13.7 infections per 100,000 people. Our threshold is 10, so we will continue to monitor the case rate and pray that our reopening can continue as planned. I want to share a little anecdote from our drive-by Ash Wednesday service that happened this last week. It was very, very cold, so we modified our service to be a very short blessing, followed by the imposition of ashes to each carload of congregants. It was a holy and special time, and I want to share one particular story. A young woman pulled her car up to be next in line in the queue in the driveway. She got out of her car and approached me, and she said that she doesn't go here. But she saw us and was drawn to pull her car in to join the procession for ashes. She said, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, it's the beginning of Lent and it's Ash Wednesday. And she certainly was familiar with that practice. But she looked at me and she said, what I really want is the ashes. So I was able to bless her and give her those words that remember you are dust and to dust you will return. 
So I just want to say, as awkward as it is not to be in our sanctuary for our normal worship, let us continue to have our eyes and our hearts open to how God might be using our creativity and our willingness to kind of be uncomfortable for God's plan. What a blessing to be the church on a hill who welcomed a young woman who simply needed to be reminded of her dustness and her blessedness. So speaking of blessedness, each Monday we're offering a virtual Lenten music and meditation experience called Art Song in the Atrium. Beautiful music, art, and devotional materials can be found on our website and on our YouTube channel. So to share more about musical notes, please welcome Dr. Julia Brown. As we were planning today's service, an underlying theme of peace kept returning. So that you heard um, that first piece, Song of Peace by Langlais, that set a serene feel to the beginning of our worship service. And later, during our offertory, you will hear a very familiar peace song, Let There Be Peace on Earth, a folk song from the 50s that is a signature composition for world peace and harmony among people. A little background and context to that song uh, I found on, from an interview with the author on National Public Radio. She says, when I was a, a despondent and wondering why I should continue living, I knew for the first time unconditional love, which God is. You are totally loved, totally accepted, just the way you are. In that moment, I was not allowed to die, and something happened to me which is very difficult to explain. I had an eternal moment of truth in which I knew I was loved, and I knew I was here for a purpose. Thank you, Julia. During this season of Lent, we have placed seven candles on the altar, one for each Sunday in Lent and one for Good Friday. Each week, we will begin with one less candle lit. We can anticipate that on Easter Sunday, all of the darkened candles will be relit in celebration of Christ's resurrection. But we are entering a holy time, and as the candles slowly fade and the darkness deepens, we are retelling the story of Jesus' betrayal and suffering and death. We are also using the Stations of the Cross in our Lenten liturgy. The Stations are representations of the path Jesus bore on his way to the crucifixion. They involve Jesus enduring suffering as well as moments of support, and they relay the intense sacrifice that we, as Christians, believe Jesus undertook for the salvation of humanity. And now we go to the first station of the cross.
the first station, Jesus is condemned to death. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. As grandparents and parents, we can use words to lift our families, our children up, support them, encourage them, but we can also use words to criticize, to bring them down, to make them feel less than. Words have power. Pontius Pilate used words when he asked the crowd, shall I crucify your king? And the crowd shouted, we have no king but Caesar. At this first station, we confront ourselves with the power of words. Sometimes we are tempted to tease and make fun of others at home. We can help our families by saying kind words to them, or we can hurt them by calling them names. Young people are able to use words too. Let us pray. O Lord, help us choose words with care when we speak to each other. Help us remember that words can tear down or they can build up. Words have the power to bring us life or kill the spirit inside us. Words condemned Jesus to die. Join our hearts together for our Lenten prayer. Holy Lord, we have come together in this virtual space for worship and renewal. It is the first Sunday of Lent, the season for journeys of the heart. May our hearts be open and our spirits willing to take this journey to the cross with you. Amen.
First scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 25, verses 1 through 5. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Do not let those who wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You have to. 
second scripture reading this morning is from 1 Peter 3, verses 18 to 22. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Holy One, bringer of peace, calm our spirits, Restore our souls. Give us reflection and purpose as we begin our Lenten journey. This we ask in all your holy names. Amen. Robert Service was a remittance man, kind of an indentured servant. He went to Alaska during the gold rush. He didn't end up getting rich with uh, gold, but he did become a poet of frontier renown. You may remember from high school or middle school, Dangerous Dan McGree and the cremation of Sam McGee. He also wrote another poem, one that I really liked because it applied to a particular period in my life. It was called Clancy of the Mounted Police. And selections from the first set of verse go like this. It's in the Crimson Manual. It's written plain and clear that who would wear the scarlet coat shall say goodbye to fear, shall be a guardian of the right, a sleuth hound of the trail. In the little crimson manual, there is no such word as fail. It's duty. Duty first and last, the crimson manual saith. And the Scarlet Rider makes reply, it's duty to the death. Several police academies at Grand Valley State University have heard that poem. 
as I have tried to embed inside them a sense of duty, honor, and courage. Indeed, that is the motto of the Grand Valley State Police Academy. Duty, honor, courage. You know, I hate early morning phone calls. Those three o'clock in the morning phone calls. It's not somebody calling and saying, hey, how you doing? My favorite one, were you asleep? No, I had to get up to answer the phone anyway. I had just made the biggest decision of my life in 1978. And that decision was to leave active law enforcement and to join Michigan's training board to train officers all throughout the state, to set the standards, to research the standards, and to monitor the standards. It was very different. I no longer had the power to arrest. I no longer carried a gun wherever I went. It was a different feeling. And I was about three months into that job in Lansing when the phone rang at 3 o'clock in the morning. I stumbled out of bed, got to the phone. It was one of my best buddies. We're celebrating nearly 50 years of friendship. It was Kent. Kent said, John, sit down. I said, don't worry, Kent. I know why you're calling. Who is it? He said, Nixon. I knew who that meant. Lieutenant William James Nixon. I met him in 1974. After many weeks in the police academy, couldn't wait to hit the street. Kent and I went through the academy together. We got to the department. We had many more days of training. But then we were ready to go. I went down to the supply depot. They gave me three summer shirts, three winter shirts. They gave me reinforced pants for patrol. They gave me a gun belt. They gave me ammunition. They gave me a gun. They gave me this great big stick for riots and this little tiny stick for regular patrol. They gave me a riot helmet. They gave me a raincoat. They gave me a winter coat. They gave me a police hat. And then they gave me a police rain hat and said, go down and put it in your locker. Yes, sir. So I had all this material. I had to walk all the way through the department, get to the steps to go downstairs. I'm holding everything. I thought, okay, I'll put on the raincoat. Then I'll put the winter coat on over that. I'll put on as many hats as I can, try to hold on to everything else. And I walked on my merry way. I walked past the shift commander, who happened to be Lieutenant William James Nixon. And he saw me. I was getting ready to say, hello, sir. When he spoke to me, in a very friendly manner, saying, Young man, you are not a detective yet. If you're going to wear a coat, put a badge on it. 
I dropped everything I had. It scattered everywhere. Yelled out, yes, sir. Reached inside my raincoat, pulled out the badge, started to put it on the winter coat, accidentally ran it through my hand, pulled it out, put it back on. I'm bleeding. Find something to stop the bleeding. And Jim was looking at me with a stare that I would learn, a stare that he used with suspects, a stare that he used when he meant business, and it scared the living daylights out of you And he was looking at me. I picked everything up and said, sorry, sir. And he just continued to stare at me. Well, I've learned that stare from a lot of cops at Jackson. I understand it now, but we rookies didn't understand it at the time. We found that we were the only ones who would speak to one another. Hey, Ken, how you doing? Okay, John, how you doing? That's the way it worked. But you saw a veteran, and you'd say, hello, so-and-so. And they would give you their version of the Nixon stare. I thought, holy cow, this is a heck of a place to work. About four months into the job, it was a Tuesday, I had to testify in a trial. It was my day off. I put on my uniform and drove to court. And there were four armed robbers from another case being transported back to the county jail. They were in chains. They had, uh, they had committed a crime. We caught them the night before. Uh, and they were some seriously violent people. There was only one officer assigned to transport him back to the jail. His name was Russ. The constable in charge of the court looked at me and said, White, get over here with Russ and take these people back to the jail. Yes, sir. We put the people in the back seat of the car. Russ drove over to the jail. We got out, and it was the dumbest system in the world. You're not supposed to take weapons into the jail. So we both took our guns out and put them on a shelf, but the shelf had no lock. It was just sitting there. We took the prisoners into the booking area. The deputy took their chains off. And at that point, the four guys thought, it would be very nice to leave this jail and not spend the next 10 to 20 years in prison. So they quickly formulated a plan to get those guns to execute us and to head out the door. That was the first life and death fight I had ever had in my life. And believe me, were we fighting everything to keep them from the guns. Fortunately, there was a shift change. The afternoon shift was coming on, and the day shift was going off, and deputies in various uh, stages of dress with their uniforms charged into the booking area, and we subdued the people. My hand was hurt, still hurts today. <laughs> My stomach was hurt. I was afraid I might have internal injuries. But we had won the fight, and I looked for Russ. He was laying on the floor. He said, I can't move. The ambulance came and take us both to the hospital. My stuff was superficial. I was nauseated. Uh, no, no serious injury. 
had a little jam thumb, not a big deal. But Russ, he didn't end up being a paraplegic or a quadriplegic, but he did end up on disability because he could never stand up straight or walk properly again. I went back to the station. My uniform did not look like it was ready for inspection. Went into our report room, started typing a report, and I felt these two hands on my shoulder. One started patting me. And he said, John, what? They're using my name? John, how are you doing? I turned around. It was Lieutenant Nixon. I started to get up. He said, no, 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 stay down. Are you doing okay? Yes, sir. It's good. He said, Russ isn't doing so well. No, sir. He's still in the hospital. Nixon patted me again. And he said, you did a good job. You held your own. I said, thank you, sir. I felt about that good when they gave me my doctorate at Michigan State. It was one of those meaningful moments in life. He walked out of the brief or out of the report room and he stopped and turned and said with a wry smile, John, where was that stick we gave you? Well, it was in my locker, sir, because I was just going to court. And he kind of smiled and nodded his head and pointed at me. I said, yes, sir. I carried that nightstick with me on every call I ever went on after that. And I was surprised as I was leaving the station. These crusty veterans were saying, hi, John. Hi, John. How you doing? Well, what happened? They wanted to see, before they befriended us, what would happen when we were in a fight for our lives. Because they knew the only people who would come for them when they were fighting was us. On the phone, it was Nixon. I said, how? Kent said he was shot. Still alive? No. He bled to death on the way to the hospital. It's duty, duty first and last, the Crimson Manual saith. And the Scarlet Rider makes reply. It's duty to the death. Marsh and I went down to the funeral home. It's full of cops. Had the Jackson Police Department honor guard there. When we went up to the coffin, they came to attention with their beautiful 1903 Springfields and their dress uniform for the honor guard. And even though I was in civilian clothes, I saluted Marcia said, what a waste. He said, no. 
everything that I believe, everything that I'm willing to die for, everything that I'd give my life for anybody in this room is right there in front of me. That's what it means when we take the oath. We're starting Lent. One of the things we need to understand is when the hard times come in our life, and they come, there's nothing we can do about it. Those God-forsaken times, those times when we're alone, that's when God is close to us. The psalmist is begging this morning, please do not abandon me. Please, I need you. Peter captures it. Jesus was crucified. And he was crucified not only for the good, but for the people who were unrighteous. God is the God of everyone. Now, what would one of my sermons be if I didn't cite a German theologian or a Prussian general? The new pastor probably won't do this. This is from a book, The Crucified God, by Jürgen Moltmann. And listen to his words about suffering. When God becomes man and Jesus of Nazareth, God not only enters the finitude of humanity, but in Jesus' death on the cross also enters the situation which is humanity's. Jesus and God are in a position of God-forsakenness. In Jesus, God does not just die a natural death of a finite being, but the violent death of a criminal on a cross, the death of complete abandonment by God. The suffering and the passion of Jesus is abandonment, rejection by God, His Father. God does not become a religion so that humans may participate in the divine by religious thoughts and feelings. God does not become a law so that humans participate in the divine through obedience to the law. God does not become an ideal so that humans may achieve community with God by constant striving. God humbles the divine self and joins with the eternal death of the godless and God-forsaken so that all the godless and God-forsaken can experience communion with God. He goes on to write later, when the crucified Jesus is called the image of the invisible God, the meaning is that, looking at the cross, this is God. God is like this. 
God allows the divine presence to be humiliated and crucified to be part of our suffering. N.T. Wright, Anglican bishop, was once approached by a student when he was a chaplain who said, you won't be seeing much of me. I don't believe in God. Bishop Wright said, what God don't you believe in? The young student said, the God who sits in the heaven makes arbitrary judgments and judges us by by our deeds. Bishop Wright said, I don't believe in that God either. The student was taken aback. Well, you're, you're a priest. What do you believe in? Tom Wright said, I believe in the God of Jesus of Nazareth, the God who was present when a naked man was helpless and crucified on the cross. The Christ has never been more evident. I'm not suggesting that you have to become a cop to experience this suffering. Being human leads us to it. In fact, very few people should become cops. It is a very difficult life. A life of boredom interrupted by small periods of sheer terror. I'm not suggesting that you become a pastor. Very few people should become pastors. Methodist Bishop William Willimon writes in his book, Pastor, when you feel called, make sure you know what your calling is. I'm asking you to be the physician you are, to be the teacher you are, the lawyer you are, the moms and dads that you are, the grandparents that you are, and that you walk in that path knowing that when you suffer, God has suffered with you. And in that suffering, we find sympathy and compassion. Most folks aren't going to know anything about it, but you won't be suffering alone. And sometimes people will understand. People who have suffered before know what you're going through. It's the early 1990s. I was the director of the School of Criminal Justice, and I heard the news on the radio. A Grand Haven police officer had been shot and killed. I thought, oh, no, they didn't give the name. I went to the office, put my books and my computer in my office, went quickly to the director of the police academy, and I didn't have to ask because his head was down and his eyes were red from crying. Who was it? He looked up at me and said, Scott Flayhive, a young kid who had just graduated the year before. The police funeral was like most police funerals, almost a two-mile line of police cars, police officers from all over the United States and Canada, 
their overhead lights on. I was riding with my buddy Chuck Lindstrom, chief of the Holland Police Department, and as we proceeded through the town of Grand Haven, I noticed these crowds were lining the street. People in OBFW uniforms were standing there saluting. Kids had their hands over their hearts. Some people held American flags. And there was this one lady who joined us in our suffering. I have no idea who she was. She had mascara on her eyes, but it was smeared. It looked like she had two black eyes, and it was running down here. And she was crying uncontrollably. And I noticed when each police car passed, she made eye contact with us and just mouthed, Thank you. We suffer, and we suffer with the God who by God's choice decided to suffer. And if you're ever in Grand Haven, go through the city cemetery sometime. About three-quarters through on the south side, about 60% through heading toward the lake, there's a tombstone there. It has a matchbox fire truck glued to the top and a matchbook police car also glued. The name says Scott Flayhive and the dates of his very short life. And underneath that, his father had placed three words. Duty. Honor. Courage. In the name of God the Creator, God the Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Duty, honor, and courage are strong words to reflect on this morning. May we, as we give to Mayflower, not be bound by duty, but be honored to participate 
in the ministry of this place. Yeah. 
Holy God, let there be peace. We thank you for the gifts and offerings so generously given. We dedicate them to you. May they be used to bring you glory, and may they be a blessing. Amen. join our hearts together for our congregational prayer. Holy Lord, we are at the beginning of the season of Lent, and it feels heavy. This is a season of waiting. Like Advent, we wait and hope and anticipate an arrival, not of a baby, but of the resurrected Christ. We know that to get to this part of the story, We must go through the suffering and death of our beloved Savior. This is daunting. In so doing, we also deal with our own suffering and death. Last Wednesday, we were reminded that we are dust, and to dust we will return. Our mortality is staring us down, and it is uncomfortable. How can we not be fully aware of how fragile life is while we live in these pandemic-filled days? So, Lord, we pray for healing for those affected. We pray for vaccines. We pray for peace and comfort in these difficult days. And we have also been reminded this morning of the sacrifices of those in law enforcement. And, Lord, we pray for those who serve as officers, soldiers, agents, and others who risk their lives routinely in order to ensure safety for others. Thank you for these examples of sacrifice. And remind us of how sacrifice is also a part of what it means for us to live out our faith in Jesus. So please continue to transform us into your image. May we be people of peace in a world of conflict. People of joy in a world of pain. And may we be people of hope when the future looks bleak. Let this Lenten season be a time of reflection confession, growth, and worship. So, Lord, be with us, and Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy. Christ have mercy, Christ 
pray together in one spirit the prayer Jesus taught our father who is in heaven holy is your name may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and please give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let all things now living a song of thanksgiving search committee. Thank you for being patient. We're getting this building open. Hopefully the rate will not go up. In fact, it went down after the highest time this week. Thank God. 
that a presence is with us when we suffer. And I think of the words of Martin Luther King. If you've found something worth living for, you've found something worth dying for. On your life journey, even when you're at your lowest, God is at his closest. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.